The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You're listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 89. So today, Kat and I actually go over my first experience of uh, my ayahuasca trip um, that we took a couple of weeks ago. And uh, over the next three episodes, we're going to go over the different experiences that she and I both had. We each did two sessions of ayahuasca. And each session lasts about five or six hours, and there is lots of revelation and insight and helpful perspectives that are delivered to you in that process. And so over the next three or four episodes, we are going to do our best to convey some of the things we learned, to convey some of the thoughts that uh, we processed in, in the process. And this first episode is about what it means to be the observer of your life, the observer of your mind, and sit in the true I amness seat of who you are. Let's have some fun and let's talk about I am. All right, well, here we are in the studio again with Kat Wilden. Say hello, Kat. Hey, guys. And uh, we are here to continue our discussion on the ayahuasca experiences that we've both had. So as we were doing the last episode with kind of the follow-up or the post-ayahuasca episode, so we each did two sessions with ayahuasca, Mm -hmm. two, two evening ceremonies. And each one of those sessions was a kind of a standalone experience by itself in a lot of ways. And so... I felt like, you know what, we should do an episode on each one of those sessions. So we're going to do four mm-hmm. episodes on our, collectively, four different experiences that we had and do our best to kind of, uh, one, you know, uh, portray the experience uh, with a little bit more detail as well as then kind of unpack some of the insights, if you will. Mm. So... The first one that we're going to start with is the experience that I had on the first night, and I guess we'd call it the seat of the observer, or the power of the observer. Does that make sense? Yeah. The first night that we were doing the ceremonies, as I've already mentioned in the previous episode, like I didn't move at all. I know. <laughs> for for five or six hours after taking the tea and you know, the different drinks, especially as I got deeper into the experience. Because you start out kind of mild and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. It's kind of a, or higher and higher, however you talk about it. I've heard the analogy of a plane that ayahuasca is kind of like taking off. You you coast for a while and then you land. And And it is really gentle and gradual in that sense. And so the higher you get or the deeper you go, however you look at it, the experience gets more and more powerful. And... That first night for me, as I wasn't moving at all, I was having an out-of-body experience. By and large, I was in my mind. It wasn't a... It was a psychedelic experience, but not hallucinogenic Mm. in any way. And actually, I think we've mentioned a few times that ayahuasca is hallucinogenic, and it's not. It's actually psychedelic. Because, you know, you don't have to hallucinate. You don't have to see visions or anything like that. And I didn't. I largely just saw black... And I spent the entire evening in because my Because your eyes were closed. 
<laughs> well, yeah. No, but, I mean, like, just clarifying, like, you didn't go blind or anything. You had, you had right. a sleep mask on. Your surrounded by darkness. <laughs> right. Into the void. But yeah, I did have, I had a blindfold, a sleeping mask, which I'm actually really glad because there was a few lights in the room and I was right next to those. Mm-hmm. So having that mask was actually really helpful as well to kind of block out all the light and, and a bit of a sensory deprivation experience where you're blocking out your vision. I also blocked out a lot of my feeling because I was floating on an air mattress. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a lot of touch feeling. And then uh, it was very, very high on the sound element with the music playing and the smells. Um, she used, like, she burned sage a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like there were some other smells that were came and went. I don't think the smell of vomit came across my way, but maybe... No, luckily I, I missed that one as well. <laughs> so... <laughs> So as I was sitting there the first night, largely in an out-of-body experience, very present in my mind. Um, I, again, I was not seeing visions. I wasn't seeing the geometric shapes that some people talk about. I wasn't seeing angels and stuff like that. I was just in my mind thinking. And the longer and longer I sat there, for anybody who does meditative work, anybody who has attempted to kind of go deeper into their mind and and have conversations with their subconscious. This was five hours of that. Right. Which we train, you train hard to get like 30 minutes of your brain chatter not kicking in. So five hours. That monkey mind can go, Mm -hmm. you know, what's this? What am I having for dinner? What about that one thing that was, oh, I should have said that. What's that sound over there? What's that smell? That's really weird. This feels, I have an itchy nose. Yeah. It's just so many things that your mind is doing. That was so incredibly quiet. I could turn it on if I wanted to. And we'll talk a little bit about, I guess, you know, for me, I was fully aware. So I'm sitting in this kind of mind space. I was absolutely out of body. And I know that I could have, quote unquote, traveled away from my body if I had wanted to. But I, that's not why I was there. Like astral travel, you mean? I believe so. I mean, I... It felt like it. I say I, I felt like I could have. But I stayed with my body. Um, I stayed in the room. I stayed laying down. But it was like I was very much, you know, you see the uh, graphic presentations of that kind of concept on a video where there's this spirit hovering around that body. And it was very much like I was free of my body but I was still where my body was, if that makes sense. It does, oddly. So. I know what you mean. And every time I moved, it would like snap me out of that weightless state. It would snap me out of that out-of-body experience. And it was like I was suddenly firmly in my body. And so the not moving was a big part of it for me. And as I sat there in that spot, what I've come to realize, and I've done work before, so I wasn't unfamiliar with this space in my mind, but what I've come to know and be known as the observer or the seat of the observer where you can watch your thoughts. You can observe the things you are thinking and a key component in that, which we'll get into is as you observe them, we try to grab onto those thoughts and judge them. We try to grab onto those thoughts and identify with them as this is me. But in short, if you can sit there without the judgment and sit there without identifying with those thoughts as, oh, this is me, you can observe your mind. Esoterically speaking, there's so many teachers that teach you are not your mind. 
Well, before we go into there, like your personal experience with ayahuasca, like are you going to share why your session went that way? Like what you were asking for in out of ayahuasca, how what you're describing is how she gave you what you were asking for. Right. Yeah, this is probably a good rewind a bit to, to essentially what my intention was. Yeah. Yes, so that. Intention and Linnell, our facilitator, talked about how by and large, it's about an 80-20 split. Right. That it's going to be 80% ayahuasca giving you what she knows you need and about 20% of what you think you need. Right. Once you go in there for like, I'm going to work on this. Right. She's like, or <laughs> you actually need to work on this. Right. So you can you can absolutely go in with like, I want to become a millionaire. And ayahuasca is like, how about you deal with your daddy issues? Right. Like mm. So, you know, that can be a thing. For me, they were able to line up perfectly because I did ayahuasca best. Right. 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 Because that's what we do. And if you didn't get that subtle joke, go listen to the previous episode. So my intention going in was to let go of the past. Mm -hmm. And I think I was hoping for some kind of like inoculation from regret or pain or guilt or frustration or anger. Um, where it's like, oh, I don't, I don't even feel it anymore. And that's not what I got. What I got was a lesson in observing those thoughts, a, a lesson in observing those emotions, and a lesson in observing those events and not having to judge them, not having to identify with them, not having to grab a hold of them and let them take me for a ride. So that is the way in which I actually came out a lot faster than I thought it would. Like that's literally my, I wanted to be able to let go of the past and the pain and the guilt and the frustration and the anger and all that stuff. Um, and it wasn't just, it's just, it's personal, it's business, it's physical, it's, you know, relational for sure. Like lots of things that I just want to be able to move on. Mm -hmm. And ayahuasca's answer to that, and I believe philosophically, the, a beautiful answer to that is listening, observing, without judging, without identifying with it. Mm -hmm. And so I did for six hours, was able to sit in that place of watching my mind process the things that had happened in my life. And the the giant aha moment was, yep, that happened. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it was like, yeah, and, th and that happened too. Mm -hmm. And that happened too. And the power of realizing that the only reason that pain and frustration and anger, all those emotions come to the surface is because we are identifying with those events. We are identifying with the emotions and the feelings that those events create in us. And you have said before that the pain that we feel from things comes from resistance. And so if you're truly in an observer role and you're just watching it and understanding yeah, that happened. And some things that are just so uncomfortable in life, they just are. That thing happened, it just is. Yep, that just is. And so if you can just observe it and you're not resisting it or wishing it didn't happen or wishing it didn't hurt. Or judging the people who did it or judging the events. And, right, or how you, you handled know. it, it just is. What happened, happened, it just is. Doesn't mean it's not painful, but if you can just observe so when you resist, and the pain that we feel is usually directly proportionate to how much resistance we have. 
Right. Right. And so there's certain things you're like, man, that sucked. And it doesn't hurt that bad. But then there's things that like we hate that it happened and you say that person's name and and suddenly you get angry or, or you remember that and so and that resistance being that big of a gap between what happened and what you wish happened or that that is directly proportionate and so again my big aha moment wasn't some magic wand going you don't longer feel any pain about that it was more like don't resist it don't resist the fact that it is don't resist the fact that it happened don't resist the fact that you've had business partners steal millions of dollars <laughs> don't resist the fact that you've been divorced don't resist the fact that your you know one of your best friends died randomly out of nowhere like those things have happened and accepting them for what they are and it doesn't mean you have to like that it doesn't mean like i'll just totally embrace it and like yes i'm so happy it doesn't it's i think a lot of people kind of hear this kind of esoteric talk and they get mad at people because they think what you're what i'm saying is be cool with it they think what i'm saying is forgive and forget like that whole forgive and forget thing no forgive absolutely forget i'm not going to invite that person in my life anymore I'm not going to go back and be business partners with the guy who's already stolen millions from me. Like, So the forgetting part, I think, is a well-meaning concept that in some realms has a point. But no, it, forgive, absolutely. Forget, not so much. And so this resistance is not saying, be cool with it. It's just saying, get over the fact that it happened. I do wonder if the forgive and forget is just like a a cuter, rhymy way of saying, like, forgive and then let it go. Because, like, you keep dwelling on it, you keep thinking about it and running it over in your own life, or in your own mind, rather, and it's affecting your life. It's not affecting the other person anymore. So it's not so much, like, throw caution to the wind, be a doormat for people because, like, oh, I forgot that you treated me like garbage. I didn't. But as far as, like, if we can use that... I, it's probably adapted to like forgive and forget just forget it happened that doesn't work and it shouldn't I think that's dangerous like you said but forgive and let go so that you're not constantly dwelling on it you can just get to a place of observing like yep that happened and then just let it go there is a a spot and I'll, I'll use it for myself I've talked with enough people about this concept that it does seem to be a thing that there's literally a physical spiritual place in the back of your head, kind of back up here, you know, if you're not looking at the video, it's it's six inches back and six inches up, kind of. It's like if you were wearing a birthday hat. Yeah. Like a birthday little, hat cone. The cone birthday hat. The tip of the cone. <laughs> kind of back up here, and it feels like that is you. Mm-hmm. That your mind, your brain, is thinking so many things, and I've gotten to the point in the last week since ayahuasca i can feel when i am identifying with my mind because i can literally feel me behind my eyes mm. and i'm like looking out of a wind like i'm looking at the world and i am my mind and when i step back just one step further i feel it suddenly me my i amness ends up you know back behind my head where the birthday cone is the birthday hat cone thing <clears throat> and then I can observe not only what's going on in the world, but I add me and my body and my existence into that field of observation. That if I am identifying with my mind as that's me, then I'm observing the world and everything outside of me, but I'm not observing me in that world. 
If I take one step back, I observe not only the world itself, but also me in that world. Does that make sense? Not to me. No? Well, no, I, I think you asked me at some point. Well. Well, I understand the concept in the... In the yeah, it's know. really That's hard. A little like, it's a convoluted concept to try to explain. It's extremely sure. difficult to, part, <laughs> you know, to hand this out to people through like, okay, so it feels like this. The point being is that we often just kind of lump mind together as like, oh yeah, you, you know, your mind. Well, and, and we consider that as ourself, like the thoughts that you keep having running through your mind, you assume that you are a, the sum of your thoughts. But a lot of the thoughts, and this is what we think we're getting to before we backtrack, like the thoughts that are going through your head are generally a more a result of your programming and subconscious thought, or not subconscious thought, but conditioning, essentially. Habit, habit. Habitual. Yeah, and, and social conditioning. Neural pathways and all that stuff. Right, and so thinking like, oh, I, I can't believe I said that. I feel fat today. Like all of these thoughts that are just going through your mind constantly. Oh, I have to remember to go grocery shopping. I had to do this, I gotta do that. We assume that the voice that we hear in our head playing all of these mundane thoughts is ourself. Like we think that we are our brain or our mind and that isn't the case. It's a part of us, but it's kind of, it's a very important part of us, but it's, it feels like a lesser part or a more primal part, I guess. It is, so, I mean, how many times do you hear people kind of talk about, like, oh, I always do that, right? Mm -hmm. It just frustrates me so much. And there's this identification with that front part of your mind that that is you. And, I, you know, you are not your mind. Your mind has mechanisms by which it works, and you can change your mind. You know, oh, I changed my mind. Who changed what, what? Like, think about that statement. Mm -hmm. I changed my mind and even in that sentence you're it is something that you are in possession of right so you yourself, own your mind and when i when i try to explain some things and some concepts i'm like i don't know i was like and i usually do this with my hand about a six inches behind my head if it's a spiritual concept that i'm working on and i find myself trying to explain it and i'm like feeling back there physically with my hand i'm not feeling for anything i don't actually feel anything but I find myself absentmindedly like touching my spirit self as I'm trying to mm -hmm. convey a spiritual concept. Well, so having that realization, like you can change your mind. One, you own your mind and you are not that mind. You is a thing that sits above that. Mm -hmm. And here's the crazy thing that so many people spend <laughs> Lifetime is trying to figure out, and that is, you can choose what your mind thinks. You can choose what your mind meditates on. You can change your mind. And so many people, when it comes to habits and when it comes to negative experiences, they verbalize it as this kind of victim, like, well, I always do that. I just, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just, it's just I can't. How I'm wired. I, yeah, just how I'm wired, those kind of statements. Mm -hmm. And that's not actually true. In some ways, it's 100% true because you have been wired, but you do the wiring. But that also goes into then you have to take responsibility for yourself and people. A, a lot of people don't want to do that. Our culture definitely celebrates victims yeah. and celebrates you know other yeah. people's faults. So 
this episode is it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, and it's and it's yeah. hard to convey. So uh, experientially, when I was in that state where I was out of body, although I was still very present with my body, when I was sitting in the seat of the observer, it was crazy because I was a hundred percent aware of every thought I was thinking. And awareness is probably the best word for the mechanism by which you, your I amness, mm -hmm. rules over your mind. The observer. Awareness is a really good word for that. So I was very aware of all the thoughts that my mind was thinking. And I was very aware of everything that was going on in the room. I was very aware. I was 100% aware of both of these at the same time. And 100% aware of everything I was feeling and what my body was doing, even though I was out of my body. It was the ultimate observer position, where I was, I was using awareness to watch myself on three, if not four different levels. And <laughs> while our conscious mind goes, we can only focus on one thing at a time. On that level, you can absolutely focus on more than one thing at a time. And I will, boldly say that I was a hundred percent aware of all of those elements at once. I will say, I will add to that, and I know we're talking about your experience, but <coughs> mine, in that area, like, it quiets down that chatter, the conscious mind, so your brain chatter, and that, like, it just feels like, if you guys have ever had baklava, it's like that really thin layers of, that's what I keep seeing is baklava. It's, it's a dessert from Turkey or something, and it's all these really thin layers of this pastry type thing. And it just looks like layers and layers and layers of chatter where you can't even, you can't even reach your spiritual thought. Like you can't reach your deeper thinking because there's so many layers of just garbage <laughs> thought, just useless crap that's floating through about meaningless stuff. And some of it, you know, is obviously applicable to life and you have to remember to do laundry or go grocery shopping and stuff like that. So there is that. But when there's no quiet, and when God is in the still small voice, our still small voice, you can't compete with all of that. Right. And so my experience with ayahuasca was the same in, well, in that one area, being that that was quiet. There was none of that. It was a laser focus, and it felt like I had complete access to my higher self or to my spirit. And there could be a direct conversation between my soul and my spirit, my subconscious right. mind and my higher self. And I was the one in that conversation. Yeah, without all the doubt and chatter. Yeah, yeah. And then in, and doubt is very often, that's where it's present. Is, you know, as your spirit's trying to say something, you're like, is that really, you know, you know just. That's and, a, yeah, that's a lot of what ayahuasca <clears throat> was for me, is removing that mucky filter of doubt and that chatter of like, oh, you're probably just imagining that or whatever. It was like, nope, doesn't even matter what my brain thinks right now. I'm having a conversation between these deep parts that I don't get to access very often. And it was so incredibly powerful to be able to access those parts of yourself without all of those layers of conditioning. It was really cool. So those of you who uh, are familiar with the Bible and the typologies of the Bible. And I've, I've done a few episodes in the past on this, and who knows, we might do more, because I think there's still a lot of people that that need a typological understanding of Scripture to kind of heal from 
so much of what's happened in the church, but the tabernacle is a picture of you, right? You are the tabernacle of God. You are the temp- your body is the temple of God. And that tabernacle or the temple had three major compartments. So you had the outer court, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. That's pretty familiar for even people who weren't born and raised in church. They know that picture. And each one was a box, if you will. A big box, a smaller box, a smaller box. But inside that Holy of Holies is the smallest box known as the Ark of the Covenant. Right? That melts your faces <coughs> if you look at it. Right, according to Indiana Jones. Right. Um, so that there's actually four boxes or four rooms, if you will. And the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, the visible glory of God would actually hover over the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. That's where the I am-ness of God dwelt, was in that very center above that box. And then in the New Testament, you see in John 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You must be born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And when you ask the question, well, okay, so born of water, born of spirit, so born again of what? And that is found in John 1, where he says we, we were given right to be born of God. So there are four rooms in the tabernacle, just as there are four born of or born again type experiences outlined in the scripture. Mm-hmm. And that's a very quick explanation of the esoteric side of what I believe Jesus brought and what I believe the Jewish and Christian traditions point to. And that is that you are a three-part being with a I amness or a fourth part, if you will, residing over the three parts. So going back to the temple, you know, outer court, holy place, holy holies, you have a body, soul, and spirit. Hmm. And the reality that until the I amness or until the ark is in the temple, it's just an empty vessel. But when you become aware of your divine place, that arc, that I amness comes within you, that you become a fully uh, manifested son of God. And therefore, for me, that sitting in that space, that observer spot, in that I am spot, where I'm watching my spirit, my soul, my body, and I'm, and I'm observing what's going on, it was a very tangible expression of, there is a purity to who I am. Literally, there is a purity to who I am. And Austin... I'm kind of saying this for the first time even right now, that Austin, this manifestation of who I am, known as Austin Fletcher, is certain expressions of something that is much bigger. I do believe in reincarnation. I do believe that my I amness has had different expressions throughout the ages and will continue to, but that there is a beauty in who Austin Fletcher is right now and that that I amness being as large as it is being as pure as it is too that uh, the same way I say you can choose your thoughts is the same way that I believe our I amness chooses who we are in this life I experienced that like that was on my second night it was choosing this life. It was interesting. We will get into that later. But. Right, which we will. But yeah. Because we'll get into a, yours as well. I believe that. 
So I've done it before on this podcast where I've done the, the exercise of the best one I know of on how to sit to find that observer spot mm-hmm. in your in your mind. And it is if you close your eyes and silently to yourself you say I am and then you fill in the blank with your name, you know, I am Austin. And then ask yourself, who said that? Then you do it again. And you close your eyes and you silently to yourself say, I am Austin. And then ask yourself... But use your own name. Yeah, use your own name. And then ask yourself who listened to that or who's the one listening. Mm -hmm. You are talking to yourself, right? And then do it again. I am Austin. And then ask who's the one observing this conversation between the speaker and the listener. And then one last time, I am Austin. Who's the one observing the observer? Can you go any deeper? Have you tried going deeper than that? Uh, I have tried going deeper. It just stops there? Yeah. Hmm. So it's literally the I am-ness observing the, what I would say is the three parts of your expression, having a conversation with yourself that you'd have a male energy and a female energy, and then a unified energy, and then that your I amness observes all of that. And so again, this is this is hard to convey in a podcast format. It's hard to convey without doing quite a bit of your own work. And it isn't just meant to be some random esoteric conversation about the I amness. It is to get kind of bring home this point of there is a place that so many humans want to get and that is they want to be powerful people and we often try to kind of violence our way to power and we try to assert our will in above people we try to change our life because we want you know we don't like the way it is and everything like that and Throughout history, there have been examples of people that are extremely powerful that were slaves. They were in concentration camps. They were in positions of complete subjectivity to everything else going around them. Or people who were born with, you know, Johnny Erickson Tata, who broke her neck and, you know, became paralyzed. Or, what is it, Anne Anne Frank, who was, or Helen Keller, I can't remember, blind and deaf. Helen Keller. And there's that guy who has no arms and no legs, and he's right. a motivational speaker. Like, there is power of a different sort. And I believe sitting in that observer position in your life, especially if you feel powerless. I've, I've tried to work with so many people at, at work or in church or tell me that, like, who are super frustrated with life and super, like, when something happens, it throws them for a massive loop. And... That's the ultimate expression of being powerless. Mm-hmm. When life happens and then suddenly you're angry and you're mad and you're frustrated. Well, you're resisting. Yeah. Yeah. So bringing in the observer role to that type of thing and to that type of powerlessness feeling and then bringing in the observer role, does it mean that it's a, like, you've given up? Like, well, I'm just going to watch my life go to shit, I guess. It's not that. It's not like no. a resignation of power or anything. It is just, 
one of the things that clicked for me is I was reading Deepak Chopra's book called The Seven Secrets to Success or something. Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, I think. And the first one, I was stuck on for a long time. I didn't read the other ones until I got through this one because it just did not make sense to me. And it was the law of non-judgment. And you just need to look at things and not judge them. I'm like, how do you do that? It's like we are conditioned and domesticated to judge things. Right. That's good, that's bad. How are, how are we supposed to know if we're a good person unless we know the difference between good and bad? And so we are taught and conditioned and it's expected to judge things. And so I'm like, I don't have a grid for not judging things. Like seeing a child that's starving and you're supposed to not judge that. You just let them die. And that's not what it meant. And it took me a long time to understand that. And I actually found a, an article online. I have no idea where, so I can't link it for you. I'm sorry. But, um, and it was more observing and seeing. So this child is starving and understanding that, that it truly doesn't matter why. Like, obviously, if we can fix it, but, like, we're not judging why he's starving. Does this child deserve to be hungry for some odd reason? Is it his parents' fault? Is it the country he lives in? Is it the, the government of his country? Is it his karma? Is it this lifetime and that's his lesson? It doesn't matter. And so what happens when we judge is that our emotions rise pretty powerfully. And so we know that emotions are powerful in manifesting. But we've also discovered in our own work that fear-based emotions, which is really any negative emotion, is stems from fear as the base emotion. So fear-based emotions that are negative <coughs> cloud your intuition and cloud your direct line to your brain that isn't the monkey brain, the smarter part of yourself you don't have access to because you're just like, oh my gosh, what's happening? I have to do something. And so we're freaking out. So we can't even act effectively in a peaceful way, in a powerful way. It kind of short circuits our power. Right. And so being able to see that child starving, not judging it, it just is. It just is. Then from that calm place where we can still be in touch with our personal power, we can say, okay, what are we going to do about it? Let's give him some rice. Like, right. let's do something about it without it clouding us with a bunch of these fear-based emotions. Because emotion's not bad, but, and those just are as well. But if we can learn that observer role and kind of detach, not like be detached from life, but detach our emotional self from being affected by <coughs> circumstance, then we have control over how we choose to respond instead of react. Right. I was just about to say the difference between response ability versus reacting mm -hmm. and I think the world is begging for spiritually awake people who can re who have the response ability and the challenge that I see is so many people they see stuff that's happened they get angry and then they react and they, they try to do good and we try to change the world and then we end up with a war on drugs and a war on this and a war on that and we're not improving the human story. I've had my own personal experience with, because my intuition is something that I've worked on honing for years, <coughs> decades. And so I've realized that when I get into a fear-based mindset, so when I don't watch my consumption, so like what type of media I'm bringing in, what type of um, 
documentaries or information that I'm putting in, if it makes me like, oh my gosh, what is happening to the world? And it's not that I'm burying my head in the sand and I'm like, I just don't want to know. It's like, I can't keep putting that in because it messes with my antenna, essentially. My intuition, my your, intuitive your antenna. birthday hat. It does. <laughs> so now we know it's a tinfoil birthday hat that, <laughs> that fits. Yeah. Your spirit sits on top of a tinfoil birthday hat. Yes. So saith the Lord. Yes. Praise him. Praise, praise him. <laughs> praise him. So it interferes with my reception of my intuition. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like this could happen or that could happen. And I'm trying to figure out what my next steps are in life. But I'm so clouded by this negative fear-based emotion that I can't get a signal. And so coming from a place of non-judgment, like this is... It just is. This is what's happening in the world. And if you can do it in the observer role, then you can stay connected intuitively and act responsibly. And, that's, and by all means, change the world. But change it with a powerful response. Yeah. I think, again, the war on this, the war on that, those are not powerful. Those are absolutely putting all the negative energy in the wrong spot. Right, because you're focusing on what you don't want. Right. The war on drugs. You're just focusing on drugs and we just like how we know that the universe can't uncreate she can't uncreate drugs so she has to create wellness it takes it takes sobriety. a powerful person to create a different answer instead of just it takes a powerless person to fight what is it takes a powerful person to create something that makes what is obsolete be powerful kids and so there is a reality to non-judgment that it is not about sitting with, you know, oh, that kid's being raped. I'm just going to... Oh, my God. Why you know, do you use those? Well, because the pedophilia <laughs> stuff's kind of a big deal right now. It is. Oh. Um, and it is happening. And it is... I'm using that as a, because there's someone uh, who I know... Listens my antenna is all, like, deflating. I'm well, I, there's someone who listens to this podcast who has called me a couple times over the last year and a half and said, Austin, what do you have to say about this pedophilia stuff? This is infuriating. This is so wrong. This, and it's literally this super, super, you know, there's a massive judgment that's been drawn on it. And then it totally messes with their story, their existence, their energy. This person's? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a very real, for me, it's a very real example of and I try to get that person to engage a little bit with the power of now and the, the power of the non-judgment. And it was like, are you kidding me right now? You want me to not judge this? I'm like, yeah. When you can do that, you then can create something so much better. When you step into that judging role, you can absolutely combat it. But via the law of attraction and the of all that, you're not going to help it. Mm. So if you want to create solutions that are in, going to improve the world and change the world, there has to be an element of accepting what is without letting it throw you into a tizzy. So that's where I'm at. Like, I'm not in a tizzy-free zone. Like, the pedophilia stuff for sure is such a button issue for me. I have a justice button and after the documentary I watched about the the Pizzagate pedophilia thing, I found out that I have a murder button <laughs> as well. And then so I am not in a zen enough place to focus on that right now because all I would be doing is adding fear to that. And so we know again or I believe that 
emotion is your fuel for manifesting. Love is the most powerful emotion. So obviously, if you can manifest out of love, that's what we want. But the second most powerful emotion is fear. And so the masses are not creating out of love. They're like, I hate racism. Like you're saying, you're focusing on what you hate. I hate pedophilia. I think it's terrible. <laughs> so, but I'm not in a place where I can flip that around and find a spot of love where I can manifest healing in that area and fixing it and a better solution. All I can do is, is wage war on that currently. Right. P the, so the, world, like, the universe is begging for solutions and all we've got is destruction. We are. We have no create. We have so few creative solutions and the world is crying out for people who can be bring creative solutions and to do that, mm -hmm. I believe you have to be woke enough to sit in a position of non-judgment long enough to figure out a better way to do things. Right, and again, the non-judgment is not that it's not a, like... It's not about not, letting it stand. Right, and it's not that it's not a terrible thing, which I know is me judging it, but I told you I was in a place already. <laughs> I'm not ready for that, that particular thing. But if we can just like, okay, this thing is, this is an entity, this is a thing that exists in our world that we were created to be stewards of. And so we're supposed to take care of it. We're supposed to make it beautiful and heaven on earth-esque or whatever. So if we can just get to a place where like, okay, this thing exists, what are we gonna do about it? I can't yet. On that, there's a lot of things where I'm like, okay. So I, I get that. I get that people have their own path and their own, like in this lifetime, these are the lessons they need to learn. And I, yeah, I'm really still in the murder button Thing. Well, and I think a lot of it, a lot of that discussion finds its way differently when you bring in the element of time. So if you look at it from the past, it is one of those people get really upset about what's happened in the past. And you go, oh, no, it's, it's happened. Mm -hmm. yeah, that happened. It is. Yeah. It and was. then you have the future of like, we don't want it to keep happening. Awesome. So what are you going to do right now? And that brings me to this kind of the second, you know, the true power resides in the observer is kind of that final note that we have in our, in our paper here. And the law of non-judgment being one major element, but the power of now. And Eckhart Tolle has a book titled that, and it is absolutely a thing, that being in the now, that he talks about, like, if there's, let's say you're a slave, <laughs> and your now is terrible, then absolutely do what you can to change it. But for the most part, most people's now is just fine. Like right now, I'm sitting in a chair. I've got, my throat's a little scratchy, so I would like to change that. But the now, more often than not, what's really going on right now is, is actually... Fine. Fine. And if it's not fine, change it. Mm -hmm. And there is a massive chunk of that powerlessness that comes from thinking about what has been and where we're going as a country or where we're in and you live in those other elements of of the past and the future and again the observer observes what is right that's the other thing too is our monkey brain or our chatterbox is either in the past or in the future it's very rarely present and so with ayahuasca being tapping into the subconscious and the higher self that only observes, like we know that the subconscious only, well, we have subconscious beliefs that are from the past, but 
our spirit is always present in the now. I would say it's your your soul. soul. It's always in the now. Thank you. Because your spirit is mind, and your mind is out is, is can travel outside of time. Thank you. It and is a part of your subconscious. Okay, so your soul. <coughs> We'll edit out all that part so that I sound smart also. It's okay. I think people need to hear that distinction. (laughs) I'm good. So your soul is always present in the now. And so that's the part you get that I was able to tap into with ayahuasca. And so I didn't have the future in the past. It was only what I was working on in the moment and in the now. And so we get so wrapped up in the past and in the future that we're not actually doing anything. We're just existing while we're trying to mentally exist in times that don't exist anymore. <laughs> I'm done. The, the future is not yet, and the past is done. You're right, you can't do anything. And so the observer, that's where the lesson for me was, the past is done, and if I truly want to get over it, then I need to step into the observer position that the past isn't currently happening. It happened. You survived. Yeah, yep, that happened. Mm-hmm. And... Yep, bad things happen every day, and we definitely can change them. Again, this isn't about observing what is and then doing nothing about it. It's about observing what is and becoming a stepping into a creative position, not a reactive position. And to be a creator, you have to be powerful. You have to think freely, free of the, the energies that would keep you reactive. And I think that is, just look around at all the quote-unquote air quotes, solutions that humanity has for the crap that's been happening. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it takes a genius to figure out they're not actually very good solutions. Sorry, guys. So what energy of those air quotes solutions has been created in? And I would say it's primarily reactive. And it's got the judgment and it's got the past future stuff element. So the observer is a position of power. And the other part too is that when we're so much in our mind and we're so clouded by like, oh my gosh, like the Black Lives Matter thing that's going on, the people that are wrapped up in the true premise of it, I guess, how it started. Well, I won't get into that. Let me pick a different one. I don't know. So when things I get- think there's, there's a real premise to Black Lives Matter and then there's a politicized premise. Right, and so I'm talking about people that just believe that Black Lives Matter, not the- Politicized? The other stuff, yes. So. When we get so wrapped up in that and we're so emotional, we can't access a good logical response. It is just like this frantic fear-based reaction. And so we're not actually fixing anything. We're not actually coming up with a logical solution to anything. We're just reacting. And every time someone else, using social media, someone posts something that conflicts with what we think, or what we think we think, what we're reacting with, um, we react again. And so, again, our, our thinker, our logic is kind of um, disconnected when we're that emotional about stuff. And so we're also not taking in any new information. And right. so there's a disconnect in society between people. And so we feel like we're at odds against each other constantly. So we can't actually come together to come to a, an agreement or a solution on anything because everybody's in this frenzy, fear-based energy that they oh. can't. Science knows that's, that's fight or flight. You cannot take new information in when you're in fight or flight. Exactly. And you spend most of your days these days in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And then you get crazy stuff like somehow removing Aunt Jemima is going to fix or is part of the solution for 
convincing the world that Black Lives Matter. And then anybody who wants to have a real conversation about that and kind of looks at it and goes, I don't understand that, then suddenly you're a racist. And like you just start throwing out labels and you're you're not actually taking in information because you're in a reactive state constantly. Right. You're the rest of you is shut down. So. And so the observer the last point under that being this the, a powerful position is for those of you who have listened to this podcast for a while the four agreements mm -hmm. talks uh, a lot about the two of them primarily being uh, don't make assumptions and don't take things personally but the point of this episode and the point for me of my experience is to kind of if we you know to land the plane is that with everything going on in the world with everything going on in your life the world needs powerful people. And while it is not the be all to end all, I would say a very useful tool to becoming a powerful person is to become familiar with the observer, your I amness that observes yourself, that you are not your mind. You can change your mind. You can choose what to think. You are you. You are the thing that can watch yourself and observe yourself and then you can choose to take paths and it is so incredibly powerful to sit there and choose what to think mm -hmm. and choose what not to think and that's really a, it's a discipline there's one final tool that I believe can be really helpful and I was reminded of it as we've been talking and that is wide-angle vision it's a physical mechanical tool that you can use to kind of help you crutch it's a crutch to kind of get used to that observer seat and that is you actually use wide-angle vision where you can you let your visual field with your eyes and even your all your senses your mind goes out and you pay attention to what not only everything you can see that you know I see the desk that's over there in the corner and I see the fan on the ceiling turning I also send my other senses out, like my feelings. So I feel the air of the fan on my body and I can smell the smell of pizza in the other room or whatever. Like the idea, yeah, pizza sounds really good now. So <laughs> the idea of um, that you take all of your senses and you expand them out to this wide angle vision. And what you'll find is that there's one step shy of then now observing yourself. And so if you can get used to that tool, if you can get used to utilizing the observer, you can turn on so many little things that help make you a powerful person. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was specifically uh, about letting go of the past and realizing that if I stay in that position, I can appreciate the past for what it was, both positive and negative, and I can acknowledge that it was, and then I can move on. And so now we're talking about personal power, not just re responsibility for the world, but I can be healthy and move on as Austin as well. So I think one of the things too, especially with spiritual practices and stuff like that, or even even religion in some instances, like they kind of discount the brain or the mind as like this useless, kind of like how some Christians are like, oh, my body's such a burden. I could be with Jesus if I didn't have this meat suit but like um that the brain is a burden and like it's the, like we call it the monkey brain which is kind of dismissive and um kind of a insult like oh my monkey brain it is a very base primal thing and that's how it operates but 
it's not to say that it's useless, but mm. learning to bring in a sense of partnership, but understanding that you control it. Like it works for you. It is your tool. You need to learn how to use it and be the master of your mind and what you allow to run through your, your thoughts moment to moment. But that it is, again, it's not you. It is a tool that you have. You own your mind. And so getting to the point where you're like, that's not me. I don't always do that. That's not just the way that I'm wired. Like I'm going to decide to take charge. So bringing in a sense of partnership, kind of lending some hope and encouragement that it's you're not like saddled with some lizard brain that is going to <laughs> just always make life miserable, but learning that you're in charge of it and you decide and make it a beautiful partnership and a tool that you can use because that is your creative part too. When you think of ideas, they're like, oh, what am I gonna do with this or this? Your brain is definitely useful, but most of the time it's just rattling off harmful things. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it is that. Like self-doubt harmful things. Yeah, it's that version of your brain. Your brain is largely mechanical and it is thinking about food and shelter and survival and fight or flight. It is the mind, and I would differentiate between the two, that and consciousness has levels, and that the mind, I think it's a, probably a new thing for a lot of people to hear that you are not your mind. That you can change your mind, you can tell your mind what to think. You is something higher, you is something bigger, you is something more creative and more expansive than your mind and your body and it is absolutely something it's a hard thing to portray in a podcast hopefully we've done a decent job of confusing you further touching on enough points that give you enough threads to pull on to as you're driving to start thinking about I am not my mind man that's really interesting so hopefully it's been helpful hopefully you've enjoyed it Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And um, as I hear the dog barking in the background, it is time for us to to sign off. If you would consider donating, we'd greatly appreciate it. And uh, hopefully these new mics have worked out well. We've got uh, new paired lapel mics, and we will be probably changing where we do our video. And we want to get a little bit more conversational in these episodes. So changes keep coming and uh hopefully they work well for all of you and always appreciate your time and like share ask questions on facebook and join the conversation we will talk to you guys later god bless